Now, I, um, I hope you brought a Bible, and I hope you'll put it in your lap, because we're going to work through it throughout the morning. So you follow, first of all, as I read the, the portion that's under examination this morning, I'll begin in verse 16 and read to the end of the chapter, and it reads like this. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No one belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, don't you love it when a text starts like, like this one did? Um, that is why do you see what the apostle is doing he is he is about to answer a question he's about to explain some things that are important he's about to address something that you and I ask about he wants to explain and make sure that you followed his argument all the way through and so as he wraps this up he says that is why he's about to address a why question. And that question being, <clears throat> why is it that salvation must be by grace, by faith through grace alone? Why? Why is it? Well, in verse 16, there's several reasons, but he gives us two in verse 16. Did you see them? That is why it depends on faith. In order that... There it is. He's about to address our question. In order that the promise may rest on grace. Now, there, there may be several reasons why salvation must be by faith, but that's the main one. It, it, it must be by faith so that that salvation can rest on grace. Guys, grace and faith go together. But grace and merit do not go together. Grace, as you know, is unmerited favor. So grace and obedience to law or works or performance, those two things are opposites. The, 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 they are mutually exclusive. They don't go together. To mention grace 
alongside works is to annul grace. And yet that's exactly what Rome does. It's exactly what Judaism does. Grace has to do with the unmerited. Law has to do with the merited. Folks, only a gospel that centers on the gift of faith is a salvation entirely by grace. Um, grace never hints, no scintilla of a hint of any kind of human merit. So this salvation, so that it can be by grace, depends on faith. Gang, to throw anything else in there besides faith is to annul grace. So why is salvation by faith alone? So that it can rest on grace. Do you see what he did? You know, guys, there is a uh, hymn that we sing. Um, my hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And, you know that song. Well, there, the last line of that first stanza of that hymn goes like this: I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Gang, let me draw your attention to the first part of it. Here it is. I dare not. I dare not trust into any sweet frame. Oh, how sweet was the frame of my baptism. I dare not trust that. No. To trust in that is to undercut and to annul grace. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean. So you see, guys, that's the first thing he's done. But he's given you two reasons. Did you see it? He says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. And here comes the second reason. Be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law. You know who the adherent of the law is, don't you? Those are Jews. But you see, the gospel is to be broadcast to Jew and Gentile. But if the gospel rests on law, then you've just excluded Gentiles because they don't have any law. Judaism had law. But if you mean to say that one salvation is dependent upon that law, then you've excluded Gentiles who were supposed to be included. That's why salvation rests on faith. Let me give you a third reason. Now, this is not in the text, and this is just kind of private and personal to me. A third reason why salvation must rest on faith and faith alone is that any attempt on our parts to save ourselves by our goodnesses is doomed to fail. 
It has failed, it always will fail, because the moment I choose that as my option, that I'm going to, you know, be a good little boy, I will ruin that effort within 90 seconds, or maybe 60 seconds. Proof? Guys, Jesus gave us the great commandment. You know what that is. Here's the great commandment, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And there's not a one of us that have done that for 30 seconds in our entire existence. That option of trying to save ourselves through obedience, oh, it failed. And it will always fail. That door is closed. Gang, if our ultimate arrival in glory depends on any act of ours, none of us will make it. Gang, you do understand, don't you, that even our faith is flawed and we don't repent well. Folks, one observation from Romans 4, which I think is just brilliant, and it, it wasn't it was somebody else's, but do you know that there is not one word in all of Romans 4, not one word about Abraham's sanctification? Because you see, one standing with God doesn't have any, my performance has nothing to do with my standing before God. So, he opens this final section by saying that is why it's by faith alone and gives us some reasons. Now, we come to verse 17, folks, and verse 17 introduces somewhat of a sermon. I, I guess you could call it a sermon. It's not really... It's more of an illustration is what it is. It's an illustration about what faith looks like in the life of Abraham. God, Paul is going to give us what faith looks like, and he's going to use Abraham to show us. So he takes us back to the, the one specific part of God's promise to Abraham. Look at it in verse 17. Um, who is the father of all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now there it is. There's the promise that God has made to Abraham. He's, he's going to be the father of many nations. It's going to start off with one son, but it's going to spread. He's going to be the father of many nations. Abraham hears that. And he says, uh, really? I mean, how's that going to happen? I mean, um, have you, have you, do you remember how old I am? And Sarah? Me and Sarah, I mean, we're way beyond baby-making years. Now, gang, walk with me slowly through these following verses because they are abject genius. Um, God has made a promise to Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. Now watch. Um, verse 17. In whom he believed. 
Now, what did Abraham believe? Well, he believed that, he, that God was going to make him the father of many nations. It says, in hope, uh, verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. Why is it that, why, why, why is he hoping? Because you see, his body is not able to produce babies. There's no possible baby here. <clears throat> My dead body uh, won't produce life. But my dead body is not my problem. It's God's problem. Read on with me. He did not, verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver. Gang, um, here he is being told that I'm going to have children when I'm way beyond having babies. But in hope against hope, he believed. Why is it that he believed, uh, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced? that he was able to do, that God was able to do what he had promised. Folks, the deadness of my body and Sarah's is God's problem. And if God is going to keep that promise, he's going to have to bring into existence things that do not exist in verse 17 who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist you see Abraham was made a promise he believed that promise because he believed that the God who made that promise was one who gives life to dead things and calls into existence things that don't exist. Oh, there's all these obstacles. I mean, you know, biologically dead, biologically dead. You know, how is this ever going to happen? Well, it's because I'm in, in relationship with a God who raises the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. And then you get, ladies and gentlemen, what I think is one of the most glorious statements in all of Holy Writ. It's in verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. You know what you're getting there, ladies and gentlemen? You're getting a you're getting a definition of faith. Here he is. He looks at his body and says, but I am fully convinced that God is able to keep his promises. God has promised me that I'd be the father of many nations. And I am convinced 
that he is able to keep that promise. Because he's the God that raises the dead. Guys, if God cannot do that, if God cannot raise the dead, then you and I are still in our sins for two reasons. First of all, Christ wasn't raised from the dead. But secondly, folks, do you know how the Bible describes us in our unregenerate state? That is, before we were born again, before the Holy Spirit gave us a new life. Do you know how the Bible describes us? It describes us as dead. Gang, prior to regeneration, my soul is as dead spiritually as Abraham's body was dead physically. So if God cannot raise the dead, we're all ruined. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, Christ was not sent to mend the brokenhearted or, or to wake up sleepy people or to advise confused people or inspire bored people or to spur on lazy people or to educate ignorant people. Jesus Christ was sent to raise the dead. Of which Abraham is an example. Guys, is that not glorious? That's what this text is doing. This text that somewhat perhaps initially read confuses is dripping with richness. Oh, true indeed that God may have not promised any of us that we're going to be the father of many nations, but let me tell you what he has promised us. He has promised us that all those who trust in this Christ will enjoy an eternity of felicity and bliss in his presence. How is he going to do that? Well, this God is able to raise the dead. Folks, I expect to be saved, but it's not because I'm a good person, not because of what I am or what I have done or ever will do. I expect to be saved because this God who raises the dead has promised to save all those who trust savingly in Jesus Christ. And people of faith say, fully convinced that he is able to do
what he has promised. Gang, there is faith defined. Oh, but Jimmy, I, when I look at all the obstacles of me getting from this life to that one, and you know how much I fear death, how, how will God get me from this place to an eternity where there's no more sin and no more tears and no more death? Well, the same God who raised Abraham's body and Sarah's body and called into existence things that did not exist, this God who is able to do that is the same God that has promised to bring us from here to there. Guys, do you know what unbelief says? Unbelief says God is not able. But could I read you this again? Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Guys, there will always be obstacles in the way of faith. There will always be questions. So, for you, what wins? The obstacles? Which says that God is not able? Or faith? that says that God is able. Now guys, in these, these final three verses, I've got to mention them before I close. Verses 23, 24, and 25. Paul returns to that primary theme of this chapter, which is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And I, I want you to notice in, in verse 24, the object of the faith. This is interesting. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Do you see what it says in verse 24, who is to be the object of our faith? Folks, um, Jesus does not save apart from the Father, nor does he save without the Father. Jesus gave himself for us, yes, but it is the Father who gave us Jesus. And that Jesus is the only way back to that God. We're placing confidence in a God who is able to keep his promises. One other thing and I'm done. Did you notice in those last two verses the mention of the personal pronoun our three times? Our sins, our trespasses, our justification. Because do you know what's being hinted at, ladies and gentlemen? That there is a substitute. That substitute representing his people. And in spite of all the obstacles, well, 
how is God going to do that? I mean, I don't know. But tell me, are you fully convinced that God is able to do for us what he has promised. In spite of all the obstacles, Christians are people who are fully convinced that God is able to keep his promises to us. Oh, God, forgive us that we are so quick to point out the obstacles and to forget the God who made the promise. It is you, O oh God, who has promised to save the undeserving. You've promised to save people who, don't, who deserve something else. But you've promised to save a people who will place their whole hope of forgiven sin in the crucified Christ. Father, for those of, who are here this morning who have not yet embraced that Savior, would you show them that they are on a path that heads straight to destruction and then show them the beauty of this Savior and the simplicity of believing that you are able to keep your promises about him. That's who we are, O oh God. We rejoice in what you've promised, and we are glad to see you do it in any way you choose because we feel you are able. Might you be seen in all of your ability this morning on display in Christ and him crucified. We pray in his name. Amen.